Welcome to the Simply Resilient Podcast. This is episode 24, what to do when your loved ones are driving you crazy. Hi, my name is Jesse Ellertson and I am a life coach and a military wife who is in the trenches of life with each of you. This podcast is for military wives who know how to handle the challenges of deployments and frequent trainings, but want to stop feeling mentally miserable in the process. You know what to do and you're doing it all while holding down the fort at home but you are weary from living in survival mode and battling with your brain. If you are ready to thrive, then you are in the right place. Our battle buddy moment for today is from Katie J. Stowe. And this is her review of the podcast. And she says, very relatable. I only started listening about a week ago. However, the few podcast episodes I have listened to have been so informative and helpful. Jessie is very honest with her feelings and experiences making this podcast so relatable. I highly recommend if you are a military spouse or part of a military family, but really anyone could take something from this podcast. So far, Jessie's managed to make me cry and laugh and gave me a lot to work on and think about. I can't wait to hear more. The hot mess moments are amazing. They make me laugh and they are nice to show we are all human and we experience a lot of the same things. Thank you so much for that review, Katie. I want to challenge everybody who listens to this podcast to take just a moment to go on and rate and review and subscribe to my podcast because that really, really helps me. And it shows me that you're enjoying what you're hearing. And if you haven't done it yet, go do it. Thank you so much. Okay, so... Like I said, today we're talking about dealing with difficult family members and people that are in our lives, family, friends that we love and they will continue to be in our lives, but there are things that they do that drive us crazy and we're tired of it driving us crazy. So I have got some awesome tips for you guys today and I thought that this would be particularly appropriate since so many of us are spending time, a lot of time with family right now around the holidays. Today is December 26th, so we just celebrated Christmas. We've got New Year's coming up and the kids are all out of school and there's family parties and family in town maybe that we don't see very much or we're out of town at family's houses And this is when a lot of this stuff can come up, that we're around people that we love dearly and that we miss when we're not with them. But then when we are with them, we kind of can't wait to get out of their sight, (laughs) which can be really frustrating because you really want to enjoy your time with them. Okay, so we're going to start out by talking about what it looks like when it's not going well. I want you to think about one person in particular. But really, these tips can apply to just even people you see every day, your teenager, your husband. But just for the sake of this episode, just pick somebody, maybe a sister-in-law or a cousin or an uncle or, you know, your mother-in-law or something that you see somewhat regularly and they're important to you. And there are things that they do that are very challenging for you. Not everything they do, but some of their behaviors. So if you're anything like me, and you're getting ready to go be at a family activity where this person will be, you might start by building up some dread and anxiety about how it's going to go to be around them. And your lower brain is offering you thoughts like, oh, I wonder if they're going to do that thing again. I wonder if this is going to be awkward. Um, What are we going to do if they confront us or whatever the issue is? And you spend time and waste time dreading the upcoming interaction. Doing this creates kind of a hyper awareness around their challenging behaviors. So much so, we've talked about this before where you build evidence for whatever you spend time thinking about. So if you spend an hour 
right before you hang out with somebody, thinking about the things they do that drive you crazy, you are in this hyper aware mode of that behavior. And then when you are around them, that's almost all that you see. You don't really notice the really normal stuff that they do. You're just watching for the thing that you're worried is going to happen. And then it happens and you, that's all you see. And so you've just built this evidence and put on this lens of watching for this behavior. So you've spent time dreading it. You've created some worry and anxiety. You've put on this certain lens. You've built all this evidence. Then you go to the event where this person is. Again, if you're like me, then your lower brain is going to offer you thoughts like, oh, I really hope they don't do that this time. I really hope it doesn't go that way. I really hope it doesn't happen like it happened last time. Whatever the thing is, I'm going to not really use examples right now because I want anyone to be able to apply the specific thing that they're worried about to these scenarios. And it's so interesting that we are hoping that the thing that they do doesn't happen again because that is definitely your lower brain offering you that thought because when you think about it from your rational brain, I'd like to I I often ask my clients when they bring up a scenario like this and then they'll say something like, "I can't be around this person because they did this again." you know and then I'll ask them is this the first time they've done this and often the answer is no this is always how they are and if you find that to be the case with this particular person that you're thinking about that you are hoping that they're not going to do the thing that they always do or behave the way they always behave or be the way they always are that is definitely your lower brain offering you that thought because rationally you can understand like if this is how they always are then that's definitely how they're going to be at least this time And what's interesting about hoping that they don't do it again is then when you are with the person and they do it again, you're at the party or the, you know, the Christmas party or the New Year's party and they do this thing again and your lower brain says, oh, I thought maybe they wouldn't do it this time. Here they're doing it again. I cannot believe it. And you're actually shocked when they do it again. And all of that combined just creates so much drama. All of those that leading up to this behavior occurring. And I don't know about you, but I really do not like drama. And my lower brain loves to create drama and it loves to find drama and it loves to focus in on drama. But I don't enjoy it from my rational brain when I'm looking back on an event, you know, from the next day. And I think, oh, I just created so much drama, even if it's not coming out. It's not that you're necessarily being really dramatic at the party or in your behavior, but you're creating a ton of mind drama. That's kind of the drama I'm talking about right now. Sometimes when these people behave the way they're behaving, you're not even really reacting to them, but there's a lot going on inside your mind. So I want you to watch for that. So then the final piece of how it goes when it's not going well is that you spend time that night or the next day just analyzing how it went, analyzing the conversations, you know, ruminating on it and just hashing it out, rehashing it. And also I find that I tend to vent to people about it. Like I want to talk about it. If I was mixed up in some in some drama and being driven crazy by by people in my life, I love to call up my sister or talk to Brad about it. And I just want you to watch when this happens to you. If you start a sentence with things like, I can't believe they did it again, or you're never going to believe this. You know, you kind of, again, that just is feeding right into that drama and also that shock that they did something that they always have done and that it still managed to really surprise you. So if this, if that whole scenario is sounding familiar to you, I have some solutions for you. (laughs) Um, This isn't necessarily how it always goes, but for me, this is how it would go quite frequently when I would play out this type of scenario in my life. So here's what it can look like when 
it goes well, when it's going in a much more intentional way. And when you're watching your brain and creating awareness and guiding your brain through these experiences, rather than just kind of letting your lower brain take the reins and, and drive the ship. So, oh, I mixed my metaphors there. Take the wheel and drive the ship. <laughs> okay, so just playing through that same scenario, here's what it could go like. You watch your thoughts as dread starts to come up before the event, before the party, and your lower brain is offering you thoughts that create a model where in the feeling line, you're going to feel dread or anxiety or worry. And you watch what those thoughts are. And we already mentioned a few examples of, you know, thinking things like, I'm so worried they're going to do it again. I'm so worried we're going to have a confrontation. What am I going to do if they dot, 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 whatever. Those kind of thoughts are what are filling you with dread. So nothing has happened. The person has not done their bad behavior, or I won't say bad behavior, the behavior you don't like, the challenging behavior, and you are filled with dread and worry because you're thinking about what they may or may not do. So you've just created all this for yourself through your thoughts, and that's okay, but to watch your thoughts and get that awareness around that is the very first step. So then this is a perfect opportunity, especially if you have some time, if it's you know before the event, that you can coach yourself and run some models on how you want to feel around this person. So remember that as soon as we go to that place where we're coaching ourselves, we are in our rational brain. So you start by doing that brain dump, that thought download where you just write out every concern you have, every worry you have, every thought you have, just get it out of your brain. And that's all kind of coming from your higher and your lower brain. And then you're able to switch just fully into your higher rational brain and really take a look at your thoughts, write out some unintentional models of how it often goes with this person and also the the thoughts that are creating the dread and the worry for you. And then you're in a perfect position to fully accept that your thoughts have created all of those feelings and especially to really, really take a look at how you feel when you're Maybe your F line is annoyed when you're around this person. So in the C line, you can write, you know, person says this thing, you know, the thing that they do or say that bothers you that can go in your circumstance line. And then you think about how you feel when they do this behavior. And once you have that locked into place, you know, maybe you feel annoyed or hurt or irritated, then you're able to take a look at what am I thinking? Why is that a problem? Remember, you ask yourself, if you can't quite think of what you're thinking, then you just ask yourself, why is it, is it a problem that they do this? And often your thought will come right on the heels of that question. And so you'll ask yourself, why is it a problem that they do this? And you'll answer it by saying something like, well, because it means then that I can't, you know, whatever. Like, again, I'm not giving specific examples here because I want to keep this all pretty general so that it can apply to whatever it is that you're dealing with. And so then when you have really got a hold of your unintentional models, then it's time to ask yourself that question of how do I want to feel around this person? And that will really lead you into creating those intentional models. So if you want to feel loving, calm, accepting, you know, whatever feeling you want to go for, then you need to ask yourself, what would I need to be thinking in order to feel that? So that can really set you up for handling it better when you're around this person and doing it in a way that is how you want it to be. The next really crucial step in this is planning on this person behaving as they've always done. We already mentioned this, but just watching your lower brain offer you thoughts like, I hope it never happens again, or I hope it goes differently this time. And then you just answer your lower brain and say, no, it's okay. They're definitely going to do it again. Like they're definitely going to behave in this way that they've always behaved. Now, the re- that can feel a little pessimistic, but I just want you to think like, 
you know, maybe someday they'll change that. That'll be great. But for now, planning on it going that way just decreases the drama by so, so much. And it's not pessimistic because really it just puts you in this better spot of accepting who they are and planning on them being themselves instead of planning on them changing so you can feel better. Now, we touched on this a little bit in our episode about manuals when we talked about how the only way we can have a manual for other people is if we only have one line in our manual and that that line is that that person be themselves completely. That's the only line we're allowed to have in our manuals. And that's really what this is. Planning on people behaving in the way that they have always behaved is honoring that one line in the manual. Because the work that we're trying to do here is not just accept hard behavior, but to be okay with not liking people's behavior, but not needing them to change anything. It's okay that it bothers you. It's okay that they're doing it and nothing needs to change for you to feel the way you want to feel, except your thoughts, really. Nothing needs to change about the other person. Okay, so you've created some awareness by watching your thoughts, coaching yourself, creating your unintentional models, getting a hold of them, realizing your thoughts are creating your current feelings, deciding what feelings you want to feel and creating thoughts that will generate those feelings by writing out some intentional models. And the most important part, you have reassured your lower brain that this person is definitely going to do the thing that you don't love that they do when you see them in a few hours or tomorrow, you know, whenever the the event is that you're going to see them. So you're ready and you go to the party. And when they do this challenging behavior, because they will, I want you to watch your lower brain start to freak out and think that they need to change for you to feel better. It's totally fine. So much of this, especially if you're not quite ready to go all the way into the intentional models, is just watching your lower brain and the way it's behaving, not from a place of really needing to change it, but just from getting that awareness of, okay, when I think this person has to stop doing this, or this is a problem, or something's gone wrong, that is when I feel stressed and annoyed. What they're doing is truly in my circumstance line. If you're not ready to change it, that's totally fine. But gaining this awareness around truly what's creating your feelings is going to be a huge first step in getting a a hold of all of this. So watch your lower brain start to freak out. And then you need to, when you're ready, interrupt this unproductive model that it is starting to offer you of this person needing to change their behavior and you interrupt it with your intentional model that you've created. And you do this by reassuring your lower brain, like, nope, this is, this is how this person is. This is how they behave. This is the best that they know how to do. Whatever model that you have come up with that will create the feeling that you're going for. Doing all of these things is going to decrease the drama so much around this challenging behavior that this person does. So we talked about in the in our first example where it's not going well, we talked about how the actions and thoughts and feelings you were creating in the first example were creating so much drama around this person's behavior. And so our goal of doing it this other way, for me at least, is to decrease the drama. Okay, and then the final step is, hopefully you're already feeling way better about how it's gone this time around, implementing at least some of these tips. But the final step is either that evening again or the next day, watch your lower brain probably more than once want to analyze what happened, want to dredge it up again, want to revisit it, want to rehash it, want to call someone and talk to them about it. Even if you managed your mind around the person and their behavior, your lower brain has this little habit of 
let's think about it some more. Let's talk about it again. Let's revisit it again. Let's bring up all of the drama and the feelings again. And I want you to just watch it offer you that and want to do that and you just resist the urge. And we do this again by answering our lower brain when it says like, oh, let's let's call my sister and tell her what happened. I'm not saying don't call your sister. Definitely call your sister. Sisters are the best. But I want you to reassure your lower brain and just say like, no, that's not necessary. You know, that's how we used to do it when we created drama, but we're trying to decrease our drama. Like there might still be a little bit of drama. Family can bring that out in all of us, but we're trying to just get that result line in our models of, less drama than last year's party or less drama than the last time I was around this person. So these are the steps you can take to decrease that drama for yourself, even if most of the drama is happening in your brain. So we're reassuring our brain that it's not necessary to analyze it and revisit it and hash it all out again the next day or that night. And it's just simply an urge. It's simply an urge that our lower brain has offered us that that's a really important thing for us to do. And we're just going to resist the urge and just reassure it. We don't need to do that. That's not that's not how we do it now. That's how we used to do it. And that's okay. We understand that that's how we used to do it. And we're just not going to do that this time. So I have an in the trenches moment for you guys, sort of like a mix between a hot mess moment and an in the trenches moment. But um, when I, I developed an analogy that really helps me implement all of that we just talked about when I'm dealing with challenging behaviors of people in my life, and I call it my spit up analogy. So here's how it came about. When my youngest was a baby, she spit up a lot. She definitely was my baby who spit up the most of all of my kids. And she basically had a pretty big spit up every time she ate. So I would feed her her bottle and I would always have a really good burp cloth ready, especially if I was, you know, dressed for the day or wearing, you know, wearing um, something that I didn't want to get spit up on. Or if I knew I was like, all right, about to leave, I would have like a blanket ready. I just was always very prepared because I just knew she was going to spit up and I would just feed her. And while I'm feeding her, I'm just reminding myself a little bit of, I got to be ready when I sit her up to burp her, like she's going to spit up. And so then we would do that. I would sit her up and burp her and I'd be smiling at her and she'd be smiling at me and she would do her big burp and then here would come a big spit up and I would just be like, oh, there's the spit up and I would just wipe it up and just kind of get it all in the blanket or the burp cloth and we, we just wouldn't even skip a beat. It was, it was quite a bit of spit up, but I was ready for it and I was prepared for it and I sopped it up and then it was done and then she was done and she was back to smiling and I was back to smiling And I could just give her a big kiss and move on with our day and feel great about it. And so what was fascinating to me is whenever I would let somebody else feed her because uh, she had formula, she was drinking from bottles. And so it would be sometimes my kids, sometimes my husband, sometimes my dad or my mom um, or Brad's parents or a friend. And so when other people would feed her, I would always warn them, like, be ready because she always spits up. And they wouldn't necessarily take me seriously. And I would really reassure them, like, no, she she spits up every time you burp her. Like, really keep that burp cloth ready. And they'd say, oh, yeah, okay, okay. You know, but I could kind of tell that they didn't quite believe me. So I'd say, okay, well, you know, I warned them best I can. And so I, I remember my dad in particular. He loves my kids. He's such a good grandpa. And he has a really sweet spot in his heart for Hannah. She's the youngest grandbaby and so he would offer to feed her and I would I would remind him okay don't forget she spits up and he would say oh yeah I remember okay I know and he'd have the burp cloth but he wouldn't he wouldn't keep it ready and somewhere in his mind maybe if he didn't think it all like this thought all the way through but I imagine he was thinking something like well maybe this time she won't spit up even if that was kind of on the subconscious level and then he'd be distracted with 
how cute she was and, you know, sitting her up ready to burp her. And she would even just be like, she'd spit up through a smile. You know, she, she's laughing and smiling at you. And then she burps and here comes the spit up. And she would just cover him and spit up and he'd start yelling, oh, Jesse, she spit up. And I would just laugh and go running over, you know, with burp cloths and to help him out. And he'd have to go change his shirt. And I would say, you know, I would think sometimes I would say, but mostly I would think like, oh, I, I warned you she was going to spit up. And so it was just this big surprise, dramatic thing when she spit up, because it really is quite inconvenient when you get spit up all over you. Nobody likes to get spit up on. But it just became so clear to me that I had such a different experience with Hannah spitting up on me than when other people would feed her. And it would be so inconvenient to them and such a surprise and a real problem in their day when they got puked on. (laughs) But um, and that was when I really started to realize what was I doing that was making it such a less dramatic experience for me because it just didn't even phase me. I just knew she'd do it every time I was ready. I took care of it and it just was nothing. It just it just didn't even it wasn't even a blip on our radar. And so once I learned about all these awesome life coaching tools and went to life coach school, this analogy would come up for me and I started to use it with my clients and they loved it. So I call it the spit up analogy and you can probably already tie it together just with what we've been talking about. But basically when people in our lives do this challenging behavior, it's like when a baby spits up on you. And one reason I love to use this as an, as an analogy is because I love to think of things in a way that I can kind of take something that normally might make me upset or angry and kind of switch me to laughing and make it a little bit lighter. So when a person does the thing that's hard, I think to myself, this is how I cue my brain of what I want to be thinking about it and feeling about their behavior that's hard for me is I think to myself, oh, there's the spit up. And I immediately go from like, oh, I could get so like dramatic and heated about what they just did to just almost like laughing on the inside of like imagining this grown up like spitting up. (laughs) So I just say, oh, there's the spit up. And then I'm right in that place I need to be of, oh, this is when they do the thing that they always do. And I don't want it to even be a blip on my radar. I just want to have my burp cloth ready and I just wipe it up. No big deal. And we just move on like they can just keep spitting up. And and what's so great about that is eventually babies do grow out of spitting up. But for Hannah, she spit up every time she ate until one day she just stopped. So when I tell you to plan on it, I'm not saying that they'll never stop. But to plan on them spitting up until maybe one happy day, they do change or it does stop. And that, that is such an interesting model that you can create for yourself because the thought line is there's the spit up. So the person does the hard thing. This is your intentional model because the unintentional model is where you get aggravated or or hurt by what they do. But in your intentional model, you have your circumstance line where whatever it is that they do and your thought line is, oh, there's the spit up. And in my feeling line, that takes me to accepting, loving, um, lighthearted, you know, all, all those kinds of feelings. And then my action line is just, oh, clean up the spit up or, you know, go to a different room or change the subject or, you know, whatever it is that will get you past the action that they've taken or the behavior that they've done. And then my result, which is my desired result, is less drama, just less drama in my own mind, less drama at the party, less drama in our relationship. The other desired result I have is to enjoy my time with this person. And when you're not hyper aware and watching for that, oh, that behavior that is just going to make you feel so many things, you start to see that, oh, they do a lot of really normal things too. A lot of things that I enjoy, a lot of things that I'm totally okay with, even if, you know, every once in a while they're doing this other thing that's really hard for me. And one more aspect about the spit up analogy is that there are people in our lives and I've used this with my clients that they 
are we've decided at some point that they you know how to clean up their spit up but there's just so much spit up and I, I tell my clients, I say, maybe you've decided that there's too much spit up for you. You don't want to, you know how to clean up that spit up, but you just don't want to clean up that much spit up. And that just means that in order to have a relationship th- with this person, to feel the way you like to feel around people in your life that you love, it takes so much thought work to accept not loving what they're doing and to accept that they're going to keep doing it and to take to do the thought work that keeps you in that frame of mind that you want to be in. And you've just decided that's too much spit up. Now, I'm not suggesting you cut people out of your life because, you know, only you can know if that's what you should do. But we can definitely limit our exposure to people that we feel like spit up on us nonstop. That, that's really empowering to me is to say, like, I love this person and I'm not going to cut them out of my life. But I feel like they spit up on me nonstop. And so I'm just going to limit the amount of time I spend around them because it takes a lot of burp claws to be around this person. <laughs> so again, I love kind of just bringing this analogy through the whole thing as I'm working on an issue with a person because it really just makes me smile. And it really just shows me like, you know, when their behavior can fall into this category, because obviously there's behaviors that do cross boundaries or or are more damaging or more invasive, but I'm more talking about annoying behaviors. Just things that are annoying, that are that are difficult, that are challenging, that are irritating. I'm not talking about damaging or invasive or behaviors like that. So if their behavior falls into this category, calling it spit up just really takes you to this place of like, I am not being harmed here. This is just annoying. And I know how to deal with annoying. I know how to just bring my burp cloth and move on and it's no big deal at all. So I hope that this analogy will bring a smile to your face. And your mission for this episode is to, over the next week or so, as you encounter somebody in your life that has behaviors that are challenging to you, to just give this a try. Try this on. Identify how it's been going. Identify how you want it to go. And just try out some of these tips. Even if you just pick one or two things, even if you just want to imagine the spit up, or if the spit up grosses you out, I'm sorry, you don't need to use that one at all. I think it's funny, but you know, whatever works for you. And just see if it makes a difference. It really has made a huge difference in my life. And I just love when I can feel the way I want to feel around the people in my life and when I can accept them for exactly who they are. And I know how to handle the spit up. I know how to bring my burp cloth. I got this. And so do you. Thank you so much for making time in your day to listen to this episode. If this podcast resonates with you, send an email to jesse at simplyresilient.net to schedule your free life coaching mini session and see if working with me would be a great fit for you. Remember that when we choose to intentionally manage our minds, we go from feeling mentally miserable to feeling like a mental powerhouse. You've got this. I'll talk to you soon. Over and out.